Well, happy Mother's Day. Janet's mom is with us today, so we want to recognize her. We're glad to have them down. And I know many of you have mothers that are here with you today, our uh, daughters, family that are here with you today. If that's you and uh, you're here but not normally here, we welcome you. We're thrilled to have you here. Thanks for uh, coming and spending this time with us for uh, the next little while. So we honor you, moms, today. You know, it was in 1914 that Anna Jarvis spearheaded a campaign with then-President Woodrow Wilson uh, for the purpose of setting aside the second Sunday in May to recognize mothers for all that they do. And so we say thanks, Mom, for all that you do. Why did God make moms? These are some answers by some elementary school children. Why did God make moms? Well, because she's the only one who knows where the tape is. <laughs> Most of the time. Why did God make moms? To clean the house. <laughs> and one little guy said, why did God make moms? Well, to help us get out of there when we were being born. <laughs> How did God make mothers? Well, what said one little guy, he used dirt just like the rest of us. <laughs> Another one said, magic plus superpowers and a lot of string. <laughs> and the last little guy answered to how did God make mothers, he said, God made my mom just like me. He just used bigger parts. <laughs> what ingredients are mothers made of? Well, said one little guy, God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and just a little dab of me. <laughs> what ingredients are mothers made of? Well, they had to get their start from men's bones, and then I think they mostly use string. <laughs> the last one, why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? One little guy gave the obvious answer, we're related. Makes a lot of sense when you think about it, yeah. And why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? And this little guy would be near to my heart. He said, because God knew that my mom would like me more than the other moms like me. <laughs> I think I know that kid. I'm not sure. but uh... Well, we honor you, Mom, just like we have for the past... 95 years. Thanks for fixing our meals. Thanks for washing our clothes. Thanks for cleaning up after us and going to bat for us with the neighborhood bullies. Thanks for teaching us life skills, and making us study. Thanks for believing in us. Thanks for telling us you can do it. Thanks for letting us cry in the times when we needed to cry and telling us to stop in the times that we really didn't need to be crying. And thanks for hauling us all over town for practices and lessons and recitals and all of those other things. Thanks for the countless, countless things that you do. Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States said, from my mother, I learned the value of prayer, how to have dreams and believe that I could make them come true. So thanks, mom. I hope if your mom is around, if you have the opportunity to do so, that you'll do something special for your mother today. 
maybe you'll buy her a nice gift. Wouldn't that be nice? It's not too late. Easton's just three miles away. And... But I hope you'll do something nice for your mom. You know, Bill Cosby said that the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day is that mothers are more organized. He said what mothers do is they say to their children, here's a list of what I want. Now go ask your father for the money and surprise me on Mother's Day. He said, but for Father's Day, what my kids do is I give each of my five children $20 each, a total of 100 bucks. He says, what they do is they go to the store and they buy two packages of underwear for $5 each, each containing three pairs of undershorts. They bring them home, they rip them open, each of them wraps up one pair, they give one pair to Goodwill, and on Father's Day I'm walking around with new underwear and my kids are walking around with $90 worth of my change in their pockets. Proverbs 23, verse 25 says, May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. I hope that your mother today is rejoicing because of you. I hope that you show her today how much you appreciate her because we all know that good parenting doesn't just happen. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. And today we're going to be talking about what good mothers and fathers do. So if you haven't done so already, make sure you reach inside your worship folder. There's this note page. It's got some blanks that you can fill in as well as the verses that we'll be looking at together this morning. Now as we begin, we want you to know without a shadow of a doubt, please don't think that we have it all together because we certainly don't and have made many, many mistakes. But the principles that we're going to share with you are principles that we've learned over the years through God's Word and through observation. I've been a teacher for many years. Jay was in youth ministry for many, many years. And so we've been around a lot of kids and we've been around a lot of parents. And we've seen a lot of people do what we think seems right. And we've seen a lot of people do what we see, think seems wrong. So we're just going to share with you some biblical observations that we have made. We're going to be talking about three things that good parents do. Dads, moms, stepmoms, stepdads, grandmas, aunts, anybody that has influence over a child, which is pretty much all of you, have some kind of influence. And these are principles that we can use if we want to influence those children. Point one on your outline says that good parents convey love to their children so that they feel loved. Now, I think that we would all agree that most parents genuinely love their kids. The problem is there are many, many kids and many, many students out there that do not feel loved. So somehow, some way, we're getting some mixed signals. I think it might be, be because we as parents often give our kids the impression that we, we love them. There's just other things maybe we love more. It's where we're putting a lot of our time and a lot of our energy, and our kids see that. So they don't feel that maybe they're that important in our lives. The other thing that we as parents often do is we try to live through our kids. And our kids feel that we love them if they can earn that love. And whatever they do, it's not quite enough. They get a B-plus on that test, Johnny, you should have gotten an A-minus. And if you got an A-minus, you really could have gotten an A, if you'd studied just a little bit harder. And Johnny, that's great that you got a hit today on the ball field, but you also struck out. You need to work on that form. 
We loved your dance recital. Noticed a couple missteps on your part, but we hope no one else did. Do you see what we can subtly do to our kids? They try so hard to earn our love, and it's just never quite enough. The other thing I think can happen is what we call role reversal. In other words, that we are so needy as parents that we so desperately need the love of our kids that we can't parent them the way we need to. Because if I tell Johnny no, he might not like me. He might not love me. And I need Johnny to love me. So we parent with weakness because we desperately need the, the love of the child. Now the problem is, kids in the room, you may not think this is true, but you really want a strong parent who's able to tell you no for good reasons. Because it makes you feel safe. It makes you feel cared about. And when we're weak because we need that love from our kids, it sends mixed signals. You know, I like to think of it like uh, an emotional tank. If you picture your children and picture that they have this tank right here, kind of like a, a gas tank. And it's our role as parents to do what we can, as much as we can, to keep that emotional tank filled. Well, what do we fill it with? Here's a couple of clues. Psalm chapter 32, verse 10. It says, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's, here's the two words you may want to circle, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Another psalm over, Psalm 33, verse 22, it says, may your, here's the phrase again, your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You see, what we are built to long for, what we're built to want, to need, is this sense of being loved in an unfailing way. It's what lifts us up. It's what gives us buoyancy. It's, it's what we need. This sense of being loved unconditionally. Not loved when, not loved if, not loved because, just loved. You see, that's the way God loves us. And our role as parents, as our children get older, is to help make that transfer. That as they move into their young adult years and on into their adult years, that they're not still looking to people to fill up that emotional tank, but they've learned to get it from the Lord. See? But until they come to that place that they're able to get the concept of, of a heavenly father who loves them even more than you do. It's our role as parents to convey love to our children in such a way that they feel love so that we fill their emotional tank. Now, there could be a problem for some of us in the room. And might it, what, here's what it might be. It might be that you're sitting here, you're an adult now, and you've never experienced that unfailing love from the Lord. Well, I've got great news for you this morning. This is that it's only a prayer away. You see, God loves you more than you can imagine being loved. Isn't that an incredible thought? And Jesus loved you to the point of going to the cross to die for you. And if you'll just call out and you'll say, God, I, I don't maybe understand it all yet. But I get this much. I get that, that you love me and that I long to be loved and that you love me to the point, Jesus, of dying on the cross for me. I receive that. I accept it. Come into my life and, and through this relationship that I start with you, fill my emotional tank. Well, when our children are small, they, they can't fully get that for themselves. And so it's our role as parents. Good mothers do this. Good fathers do this. Good 
stepmothers and stepfathers and foster mothers and foster fathers to do this. We, we understand that it's our role to, to keep that emotional tank in our children filled, to, to make sure that we convey love to them in a way that they feel loved. The second point on your outline says that good parents recognize and seek to drive out foolishness in their children heard people say, well, you know, we as people, we're, we're relatively good. That is just not true. We are born with a sinful nature. We are born naturally very, very selfish. Proverbs 22 verse 15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. See, the picture there is that this, this foolishness is wrapped around our hearts. We come from the factory that way. See, that precious baby of yours is a fool. And don't feel bad about it because you're a fool too. <laughs> and so am I. See, we, because of sin, we, we have this foolishness wrapped around our hearts. You say, well, what does that mean? Here's a verse. You Probably a lot of you in the room have heard this. A lot of you probably quote it to me. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. Now, that means far more than just being an atheist. It means this, that this aspect of foolishness is this concept that God doesn't come into play in my life. You see, this foolishness that's wrapped around my heart is the belief that it isn't God, it's something else that's going to satisfy the deepest longings that I have. Foolishness is this bent towards disobedience, that it's not doing God's way. That's not what's going to satisfy. It's doing it differently. It's disobeying. It's seeking my own route. It's, It's rebelling against what the authority or anyone else says in my life. That's what foolishness is, and it comes wrapped around our children's heart. And as a parent, it is our role to recognize those foolish beliefs that our children have, to see them when they pop up through their behaviors, to look at the thinking that's going on, the foolish thinking that's happening in them. And then the tool that we use, according to Proverbs 22.15, is discipline to help drive it out, to help push it away from them. Now, there's a couple of errors that we've often seen parents make in regard to this aspect. One is that I think as parents we can tend to focus on behavior instead of the foolish beliefs that are behind it. I mean, that's easy to do. The behavior is screaming at us. The misbehavior is shouting out at it. But see, every one of those behaviors, every one of those misdeeds has thinking behind it. And sometimes parents just focus on the behavior, not the foolish thinking that's going on behind that. The other error is that we can tend to just punish our kids instead of to discipline them. Well, let's take a minute and unpack these two errors. As parents, we just want our kids to behave. (laughs) I hear parents say, don't embarrass me. But I think what we're trying to say is it's not about just getting your kids to behave. It's about telling your kids that there's a big God out there who wrote a book, the Bible, that's a manual for how we live. And if we obey the words in that manual, we're going to be, we're going to run better, just like a car. If you purchase a car, it comes with a manual. And if you do the things the manual tells you to do, your car is going to run better. God is our creator. And we need to tell our kids that the, 
that the principles in his word are to help us. He is not some cosmic killjoy out there who wrote a bunch of Ten Commandments and rules and regulations just to make your life miserable. And he's up in heaven right now checking them off, seeing if you do them. No, these are principles that if we live by God-given principles, we're going to be happier. We're going to work better. We're going to be more filled with joy. Some of the principles in God's word are authority. God talks about the fact that he places authority over us for our protection. But as parents, Johnny comes home and says, my teacher says, and you say, well, that's stupid. You don't have to listen to that. Now, here's what you've told Johnny. Johnny, if you like what the authority says, then you should obey it. If you don't like what the authority says, then you can ignore it. And those same parents wonder why, when Johnny gets older, he doesn't obey the police officer or the rules of the city. Those same parents, when Johnny gets older, wonder why Johnny can't hold a job. Because all of his bosses are idiots. It's a principle in God's word that we teach our kids when they're young. Another principle in God's word is that we need to surround ourselves with believers, with people who love Jesus. Not to say we can't have non-Christian friends, but the majority of time spent needs to be with believers. But the problem is our lives are so crazy and we run around like chickens with our head cut off going to this event and that event and that event and that event. And so, oh my goodness, Awana, we'd love to do it, but we just don't have time. Youth group, man, we'd love to be there, but we just don't have time. Small group, we'd love to be involved, but we just don't have time. Youth group, small group, junior high, small group, love to do it. We just don't have time. And we're telling our kids by our actions what is most important in our lives. We need to train our kids when they're young. You want to love Jesus passionately. You want to marry someone who loves Jesus passionately. You want to hang out with people who love Jesus passionately. When our kids were little, we were in the car one time with some friends, and Jewel was sitting in a car seat in the back along with our friend had a daughter, Christy, who was also in a car seat in the back. And Joanna, who is three years older, was also back there. And so as moms will do, my friend Jill said, you know, someday Christy and Jewel are going to get married. You know how we do that. And Joanna, who was like three and a half at the time, said, does Christy love Jesus? And Jill said, well, you know, she's just a baby now, and we don't know, but we hope she'll love Jesus. And Joanna said, well, if she doesn't love Jesus, she can't marry Joel, and she's going to hell. <laughs> You know, we thought, okay, she's understanding principles, but we're going to have to work on that presentation. <laughs> the older our kids get, the more when they say, I want to go here, I want to do this, can I? And we have to say, no. And they say, you don't trust me. We say, right, right, because I don't trust me. The Bible tells us not to put ourselves in those situations. And so as your authority figure, I'm protecting you because that's what God tells me to do. See, I think if we're not careful, sometimes what we do is we actually feed our children foolish beliefs. But our job as parents is to recognize their foolishness, to recognize the ways that they think these things will satisfy and they're things that are contrary to what God says. And to help drive those things out and to replace them with what God says. Second thing that we see in this area, parents uh, 
the error that they make is when our kids act wrong, we just arbitrarily punish them. You know, we ground them for everything. You know, you spill the milk, you're grounded. You skip school, you're grounded. <clears throat> you know, you shot the neighborhood kid, you're grounded. You know, I mean, it's just, it's the universal punishment for everything. You know, this may not be for you, but, you know, we, in our family, we've never grounded our kids. And here, here's why. It just never made any sense to us. I'm not saying this is the way you should do it. But, you know, the reason why we've never grounded our kids is because I've never met someone, all those years of youth ministry, you know, all these years working with people and families, I've never met someone who said to me, you know, man, my life was headed south. And you know what turned me around? It was those four days I didn't get to watch TV in seventh grade. You know, it was those two weekends that I couldn't go out with my friends when I was a sophomore in high school or whatever it is. Now, I don't care if you ground your kids. In fact, go home and ground them for nothing. It's not for what I care about, you know. But, uh, but I think the problem is that we need to not view punishment for misbehavior. Instead, we need to think beyond that to discipline. You see, the point of discipline is to teach our children. Now, we hear teach and we think lecture. Don't lecture your kids because they don't hear you past the third word, okay? But to teach them so that as you see their misbehavior, as you see them doing things that are contrary to what you say, contrary to your rules, contrary to God's rules, you step in there and you think, okay, what is going on in their thinking? that's causing them to look these directions. And then you seek to to enact disciplines in ways that will help drive their thinking away, that will help them see, no, those behaviors take me further away from fulfillment, take me further away from the things that I want. It's doing it the right way. It's doing it God's way that really is going to bring peace and satisfaction and joy and all the things that I long for, the fruits of the Spirit in my life. There's a real familiar passage of Scripture from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's down at the bottom of your notes there. It says, or at least it starts there. It starts this way. It says, These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you so that it may so that you may enjoy long life he's saying listen do it God's way keep his commands Do what God says. That's what's going to bring the most enjoyment in your life. He's not saying that if you do it God's way, life will be just a field of roses. Far from it. But he is saying that as as you obey God, as you do it His way, that's what's going to lead to what to the fulfillment that you really long for most deeply. Doing it God's way. Verse 3, he says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And so that you may increase greatly in a land that's flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Listen to this next phrase. Impress them on your children. Be intentional about it. Work hard to impact your children's thinking. Impress this upon them, he says. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You see, what he's saying is be intentional to teach, to train, to impact your children with the reality that God's way is best. See, drive the foolishness. Seek to recognize the foolishness in your children. Drive it out and replace it with the truth that God's way is always best. 
Well, that bleeds into this third one, this third aspect as well. And that is that good parents, good mothers, good fathers, good stepmothers and stepfathers and all the rest, good parents focus on their children's heart more than their behavior. You see, the bigger issue in parenting isn't just what they're doing or what they're not doing, but what's the shape, what's the condition of their hearts. You know, last weekend, Pastor Steve talked about the fact that that the verification for our salvation, according to God's Word, isn't the memory of some date, isn't the memory of some event. It's that we look at our lives now and we, we run the test and we say, yes, I see the evidence of God working in my life. That's how I know I'm one of His. That's how I know I'm saved. I know for a long time working with with teens and working with parents, you know, a lot of times parents would, would just, you know, okay, I, I got my kid to that point where they prayed that prayer. So job's over. You know, they're a Christian now. But that's, that's so short-sighted. I think, in, sure, we wanna, sure, we want to see our children come to that point where they genuinely comprehend and, and they understand and they bow their knee in faith to Jesus. Sure, we want that. But the bigger issue is that I want to see my son and my daughter, I want to see them have soft hearts towards God. I want to see them be Christ lovers. I want to see them be, become a, a man, a woman who loves God with their whole being and seeks hard after Him. See, parenting is more than just making sure our kids act right. It's more than just hoping they don't make us look bad or hoping that they love us back or that they stay out of trouble. About a year ago, um, we had some friends, good friends, Christian friends, um, who came over to the house. We were sitting around the table, and the man said, um, he, we were talking about teenagers and college-age kids, and he said, well, it's just my goal to get my daughter out of the house not pregnant and with the policeman not knocking on our door. Parents, that can't be our goal. Look back at the verse, Deuteronomy 6, 5. This has to be our goal. It has to be our desire. That we teach our children to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Is that your goal? Is that my goal? Is that more important than all A's? Is it? Is it more important than the traveling team? Is it? To evaluate what is most important in your life and what is most important in my life, I need to get out my calendar. You need to get out your calendar and that will tell you what's most important for your kids. You need to get out your checkbook. That will tell you your priorities. We need to first ourselves love God passionately, but our desire has to be number one to teach our kid to love God with their heart, with their soul, and with their strength. And part of that, it's just so daily. It's like we talked about with the next verse, with Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's teaching them, impressing upon their hearts on a daily basis. What is coming into your home on a daily basis? What is playing on your television nonstop? Are we even turning it on or off or does it just run constantly saying whatever it wants into your home? 
What movies are we going to? What music are we listening to? And again, I'm not talking about rules and regulations. Those are easy. Well, we're only going to watch three hours of TV a day. That's not the point. We're only going to go to PG. We're only going to go to PG-13. We're only going to go to G, whatever it is. That's not the point. Parenting is hard work. Everything is individual. There's some PG-13 movies that I'm okay with, and there's some G movies I'm not okay with because of what they're teaching my children. We have to care about their hearts. And what goes into their minds goes straight to their heart. We have to model authority and that it's important to us and that we obey it whether we like it or not. We have to model a servant spirit. I love the fact that we had Surfest and that children were invited and encouraged. Children can have a rag and they can be wiping those baseboards and you can say thank you for doing that for Jesus. When my kids were little and I would take meals to um, families, usually try to take one of the kids with me. And Joanna would carry the bread and it would be a little squished. We got to the door or the pie would be, you know, a little tilted. But that's okay. Because they understood that we're a family. Later on, I myself was very sick. And I was out of commission for quite some time. And people brought meals to us. We were sitting at the table eating one of those meals. And one of my kids said, when other people are sick, we take meals to them. And now you're sick. And they brought a meal to us. Yes. <laughs> That's how it works. We're the body of Christ to one another. Are you teaching your kid a soft heart toward lost people? Are you using the teams that you're on and all that time you're spending to build relationships and to bring those people into a saving knowledge of Jesus? Does your kids know that? Again, our kids have been involved in billions of stuff, and we know how hard it is. So I'm not suggesting that all of this is wrong. And we need to pull our kids out and become monks. What I am saying, though, is instead of saying, well, we have this conflict, and so this is going to have to go, we need to say we have this conflict, and this is also great. How can we make it work? Maybe you can leave a little early from this and get there a little late. Maybe we can talk to the coach and explain the situation. And even if it means not playing next week, that's what we're going to do. Because the heart is more important. Does that make sense? We're trying to teach our kids to love God with their heart, with their soul, and with their mind and their strength. And again, parenting's hard. <laughs> I mean... We understand that. And, and none of us bats a 1,000. You know, if you bat 35% in the major leagues, you're in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> so good news, you can screw up two out of three times and still be a Hall of Fame parent. <laughs> but I know one of the things we tried to do with our kids, and we didn't get it right all the time, but we tried to prioritize the things that they were going to do that was going to impact their heart more so than maybe some of the voices that were yelling very loudly at us. Oh, your kid needs to be in this. Your kid needs to do this. Your, your child needs to make this happen. And we, we did all of that, a lot of that stuff too. But priority one was what impacted their heart. See, good moms know that. Good dads understand that. Good stepmothers and stepfathers and people, parents in general, they understand that more important than their behavior is what's really going on in their heart. How do I help shape their heart to be someone who doesn't just simply come to church, but, but who's a worshiper of God? 
isn't just someone whose body is in the right place doing the right things or not in the wrong place not doing the wrong things, but more importantly, that has a heart that is doing the right things because of their relationship, their longing for God, or not doing the wrong things because they understand, they've learned, those, those are dead-end streets that won't bring me the things that I ultimately long for. And clearly, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It takes all of those parts working together over time, striving to be the kind of parent that God will use to impact our children's heart. We know friends of ours, Christian moms and dads, who've done everything seemingly right, and they still have very troubled kids. We also know kids that are just amazing. And then we meet their mom and dad. (laughs) You need to understand that children are not machines, that we just plug in the right number and out come these amazing Christ followers. There are no guarantees. But these are principles that we can use to live by. I think one of the greatest tools that we have is praying for our kids. I have the privilege of coming from a home where my parents prayed and still pray for me. I have this book. I have good news, bad news about this book. This book is called While While They Were Sleeping. And it's a tool that you can use to pray scripture over your child. And especially character traits. There are 12 character traits. Courage, compassion, purity, forgiveness character traits that you can pray for your kids. The good news is we ordered a whole bunch of these and they were in the bookstore in the back. Bad news is they were in the bookstore in the back. The good news is they're taking names and if you want one of these books, you may put your name on a list and they are going to do their best. It's kind of an old book, so it's a little bit harder to come by but they're going to do their best to get it for you. But let me just give you an example of a tool that you can use. It starts out with scripture. This scripture comes from Deuteronomy 31. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then there's a prayer using this scripture that you can take your child's name and just fill in the blank. So I would pray this for Joel, and I would say, Dear God, build up Joel to become a person who is strong and courageous because of his trust in you. As Joel faces people or circumstances that will test his convictions, help him not to be paralyzed, but always remember that you are with him. Another one is praying servanthood. Here's the scripture, Matthew 23. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I would take this prayer and put our daughter Joanna's name in it. Lord, help Joanna to take the first step in seeing that in your eyes, the one who is willing to serve is the greatest. God, work in Joanna's life that she will learn to recognize the needs of others and allow you to use her in meeting those needs. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, people of new life, we need to pray for our kids. Whether our kids are 2 or 52, that's a tool we all can use because we serve a big God. Who answers prayer? Yeah, this book's a great little book. And just because it has a little boy on the front doesn't mean that it's just for praying for your kids when they're little. So if that is a good tool for you, you can go up and sign up and they'll get it for you by next week. We didn't write the book. We don't get any money out of it. It's, It's not benefiting us at all. It's not a commercial there. But it's a tool to help us pray character into our kids because we're concerned about their hearts. 
you know, maybe you hear a message like this and, and your response is, but it's too late. You know, my, my kids are gone. They're old -er now. And that's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, you may not have that direct, you know, being able to impose yourself on them like you can when they're just preschoolers. And um, maybe you don't have the opportunities like they did once, you know, when they were in your home. Uh, but you never lose the opportunity to influence them. If you've lost that influence, it's not too late for you either. Start today working to gain that influence back so that you can have impact on them. And no matter what stage they are, you can pray for them. You know, we have a God who, who overcomes, you know, who restores what the locusts have eaten. You pray for God to use you and use other situations and events to create the heart in your children, the thinking in your children that understand that doing it God's way is what's best, that they would, that they would grasp for themselves fully the unfailing love of God in their lives. So you pray. Well, I have the privilege to pray for mothers, and so I, we want to close our time by praying for moms. And so if you're a mom or a mom-to-be, would you just stand up right where you are? We're making moms work extra hard today. <laughs> and if you're near... One of these mothers, maybe you could just reach up and put your hand on their elbow or their arm or, you know, someplace appropriate, you know. <laughs> no, sorry, I don't know you. I didn't mean that. You know, whatever. Um, if you're not within physical touching range, maybe you just want to extend a hand toward a mom or mothers near you. And, and then would you bow with me and let me pray. Let me lead us in prayer for these mothers. Father God, we thank you today for moms. And specifically, we thank you for our moms, whatever that might mean. For some of us, that means celebration. For others of us, it means negative feelings. But God, we thank you for mothers everywhere and the role that they play in our lives, in our culture. Maybe for some of us, it's not even our real mother, but it's a godly school teacher or a godly children's worker or the mother of a friend who really stepped in there and conveyed love to us and right thinking to us in a way that maybe our own moms didn't do. Thank you for each of those people and the impact that they've made on our lives. I pray especially, God, for godly mothers many that have heard these words this morning and it's just been reinforcement in them of what they long for so much in their heart and just godly mothers and the roles that they've played in so many of our lives, pointing us towards Christ and away from the things of the world. Thank you for those mothers. Father, I pray for all moms and dads, stepmoms and stepfathers and foster parents and all the rest. Lord, as we just strive to, to parent our children well, give us the ability, give us what we need. Fill us with your spirit to be able to do that. I pray for grandmothers and godly aunts and all these others by extension. And again, the role that they play. Thank you for them. Bless them for their efforts into our lives. And Father, I want to pray this morning especially for single moms and just the huge weight that so many of them carry. Many who have to be both father and mother. Many who have the strain of working full time and having to care for everything around their home and having to still have the energy, the stamina, like as I said, at, at times to have to be mother and father both in conveying love to their children. God, meet them in the midst of that hardship that they live with every day. Give them energy. Give them strength. Give them hope. God, bless them with the knowledge that you are more than enough to fill the gap as they just lean on you and trust in you to, to parent their children well. 
I pray for stepmoms and the difficult job that many times we're put in, having to, to, to love and care and be mother, and yet at times having to back off and keep boundaries and all that goes with that. God, help them in the midst of that struggle. Help them to walk the line in a way that lets them be everything that their children need from them, their stepchildren need from them, in ways that allows them to embrace their heart fully around those stepchildren. God, I think of those today who a day like Mother's Day is difficult. Maybe it's difficult because they didn't have this kind of relationship with their mother, that, that all the, the nice things we've said about moms, all the good things we've said about parents, that was the last thing that they saw modeled in their home. Or maybe it's difficult because of the absence of their mom. Lord, meet them in their hurt. Meet them in their pain. Help them be comforted by you. To rely and lean on you even though this day causes pain for them. I pray for, for women who, who long to be moms, but their arms are empty. Maybe that's because of infertility. Maybe that's because they're single and they don't have that opportunity, even though there's this longing inside of them. God, meet them in that. For some, we pray that you'll bring fulfillment to those things, that they'll uh, have that baby that they long for, have children, and they'll, they'll experience that, and they'll know it's from you. For others who that's not your plan, God, help them continually rest on the fact that your plan is always best, always best. And give them the grace to, to trust you even in the midst of their disappointment, their longings to do that. God, for those who this day is difficult because they've lost a mom or they've lost a daughter or a granddaughter, God, meet them in their hurt. Help their grief not overwhelm them on this day. Help them be able to celebrate the goodness, the good things, the good memories and not be taken in by their grief. God, mostly we, we just ask for your grace. Grace to be better parents. Grace to love our moms more. And on this day, Lord, just the grace to say if we have the opportunity to show our moms how much we appreciate them. Thank you for them. And thank you for being more than enough for anything that comes up short in that mix, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.